check, check, mic check. And we thank those guys for coming on. NFAB, Jeep, Truck, or SUV parts. Check them out, n-fab.com. Great guys. Big part of the uh, JGR team. Thursday, May 26th, 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time here in Las Vegas. We're live on the Fly Racing Moto 60 Show, presented by NFAB. Taking your call, 702-586-7857. Give us a call about the... Uh, just recently completed Hangtown uh, Motocross National, round one of the Lucas Oil AMA Pro Motocross Championships. As well, uh, round two coming up this weekend in Glen Helen. You want to talk about that? Give us a call. We are giving away a Fly Racing Boot Wash Rack. Yeah, who knew? These things are cool. They're at the Nationals. A lot of the teams have them for riders. You put your boots on them upside down. That way you can pressure wash them or wash them with a hose easier, and they dry out really good. And it's a, it's a pretty sweet product that the folks at Fly Racing are marketing. And, um, yeah, you never know if you needed a fly, boot, fly Racing boot wash rack until you have the Fly Racing boot wash rack. And then your whole entire life changes right there, right now. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to take your calls. Got a few lines open. Still some guys on hold. 702-586-7857 uh, to talk some uh, some moto. All right. With me, uh, producing the show, taking your calls, holding things down behind the scenes, uh, the Tits Legendary. Hey, Steve. Now, as a Ryan Dungey super fan that you are, yes. can I have a level of concern about the Nationals after the Hangtown beatdown of your guy. <laughs> Look, he was clearly better than everybody else, but he got worked. Hangtown beatdown. He got passed in both motos, yeah. and Kenny Roxon was fantastic. Can I have a level of a concern from 1 to 94? 94 being uh, the most, most concerned, concerned you've ever been in your life. I'm going to go with like uh, maybe a 12. Really? You're, out of out of ninety four, that's like a one out of ten. By the way, you're, or maybe like a two out of ten. You're still that confident. Mm, I mean, a, I'm I'm thinking big picture because it's it was undeniable. Roxon's op, uh, opening lap speed, it was insane. Like I, right. I saw him, like holy crap, where did yeah. he even come from? Yep, that was a little unsettling, uh, but. Yeah, I'm sure he was just pacing Dungey. You know, he was. So the concern, as as the concern was probably eighty to eighty-five on opening lap. Yes. but then once they all, they almost kind of match each other after those opening laps, right? And even Dungey was quicker at some points. Some points, right. yes. Um, but we all know that Dungey's not great at Hangtown. Uh, well, yeah. it certainly wasn't a bad showing. No. Um, no. So we'll see with Glenn Helen. Uh, so but, let, for, but for now, still low. 
That's, uh, uh, that's but lower, it's not a, it's not a one. That's lower than I would make it if I was you. Mm. I'm not saying you should be at a 90 or an 80, uh-huh. but I think your level of concern should be in the 40 to 50 range. You have to look at the history. Mm-hmm. And oh, well, Dungey's consistent. And that's what I think well, he has on his side. But the 94, as recently as two years ago, straight up, 24 mm-hmm. motos beat Ryan Dungey for the title. Um, in I, I understand makes, what you're yeah, saying, yes. Right, right. Like, like, he's proven it. He's done yeah, it. It's, he, not it's, some weirdo, it's not some weirdo coming out of nowhere and beating Fl- Dunge. Fluke's happening. <laughs> well, all right, well, I'll take, I'll take all the other times other than that one time that he beat him. You're rather cocky, I feel. Mm, you you can take it like that, but yeah. I, I just say I, I... Last year, Kenny's, Kenny's back started... statistics. Up, yeah. Kenny's back hurt. You know, he was, mm-hmm. his back was jacked up. He wasn't the same guy. Mm-hmm. Earned on the series... Okay. Yeah, we'll see how Glenn Helen goes. Right now, I'm sticking with my 12. Yeah, uh, maybe 12. next week I could go as high as 15, Your level 16, of concern. depending right. on how it turns out. Okay. Uh, Jason Wygan and Jeff Emig coming on the show. And uh, I don't know how many national titles you have, Tits, but Jeff Emig will have the uh, the most national titles um, out of anybody in this room when he calls in. So it's fantastic. Um James Stewart, yeah, we can talk a little bit about that. That didn't go well again. Off the berm, hurt his shoulder, hand came off the bike, uh, jumped off a berm, weeded himself. He says it's day-to-day. I don't look for him to be at Glen Helen. I, I do not see how Glen Helen Hills and roughness of Glen Helen can possibly be okay for a guy with the shoulder problem, so I wouldn't look for him there. Blake Baggett won't be there either. He plated his collarbone. I would think for, for Baggett, round three at – uh, Colorado, or even there's a week off after the round three. So then I would say uh, round four with the week off at high point would be a nice return for Blake Baggett. I mean, play the collarbone isn't that big of a deal. It's not that hard to come back from, but I mean, come on. I don't think he's going to just do it, you know, in one week. So Joey Savacci goes 1 1 at Hangtown. That's a surprise. Not that he won. We thought he'd win. We thought he'd be good, but he was pretty good. He kind of dominated those dudes. So um, that was a pretty surprise. We'll see what happens this weekend. Jeremy Martin was under the weather at uh, Hangtown, I guess. Uh, Friday night wasn't feeling so well, so that might explain a little bit of Jay Mart's ride, although he's still uh, third in the first moto and, and crashed in the second while he was moving up. So if you're a Jeremy Martin fan, I wouldn't be that worried. And, uh, you know, if you're a uh, Cooper Webb fan, you got to be stoked because his wrist, we thought his wrist would be sore. We thought it would hold him back. But, God damn it, Cooper Webb was good, really good, especially considering he's barely practiced. So that's pretty amazing, right? Cooper Webb was, uh, was amazing. How about the Star Racing Yamaha guys in that class, too? Star Racing guys going 2, 3, 4, and 5 overall. Take that, everybody. Uh, of course, Mitch Payton's Pro Circuit guys won with Savachi, but uh, nice placing by the uh, Yamaha guys. Jesse Nelson was good. Jordan Smith was good. RJ Hampshire was good. Osborne was good in one moto. But it's so tough for these 250 guys. You see it all the time. And uh, they, they have so much trouble putting two motos together. I don't know if it's if it's age, if it's inexperience, or what it is, but um, it's just so tough for these guys in this class to put two motos together outside of the Jeremy Martins. And, you know, Savachi did a little bit, but... But it's just um, pretty gnarly on how to do it. Um, and one guy who knows how to race outdoors, how to win national championships, along with the Supercross title, he's the voice of the Supercross series. He is former national and Supercross champion, Jeff Emig. Fro, what's up? Welcome to the show. Oh, great to be on, Steve. Uh, age is, is uh, and inexperience is, when you're on the younger side, it's a bad thing. And then when you get older, you get to where you and I are at. 
It starts to work against you, right? Being older is not necessarily better. Well, it's 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 like I was saying. These two fifty guys have so much trouble stringing together a pair of motos. Whether it's Osborne, Hampshire, Jordan Smith, uh, Jmart this weekend, uh, even Alex Martin second overall, he goes eight two. And you were in this class, and you were that age, and you were a kid coming up. It's so tough for these dudes to try to get together and do two thirty plus twos without an incident. I've certainly had my share of those lopsided moto finishes uh, throughout my career. Uh, I mean, even the the days that I won my very first moto would have been Red Butt 91. Mm-hmm. I went uh, 13-1 to win, <laughs> to win the second moto, something right. like that. And then yep. it took me a whole year to actually win the overall. So it was a year later at the exact same race. I went one two for the overall, so right. that's just part of it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's such a competitive field in the 250 class, and you know, I, I really expected more out of Austin Forkner. Mm-hmm. Oh, did and, you? Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I really think the world of the kid and and his talents and all that. Um, you know, talking to Ricky on a weekly basis, and Austin's down there at the goat farm training with uh, Savachi and the other guys and all that. And he was telling me, he's like, "Look, he's just not, he's not at at that level yet. Mm-hmm. He will be, yep, but he's just not there yet." So, um, and so that was a real, uh, it was it was really surprising for me, um, and and it lets me know how competitive the field is and how much work they're putting in. Um, and it's great entertainment for us. I mean, it, I yeah. mean, I wasn't able to be there at the event last weekend, but certainly when the field is lopsided like that, um, it's it's great for for all, uh, you know all the spectators. Uh, look, it's not a huge surprise, Fro, that uh, Roxon and Savachi won. We all figure they're going to win races and be good. They both went one-one, and I would say both of them, you know, rather dominating in their rides. Which one was more surprising to you? It was more surprising that Savachi won. Yep, like he did. Right. Uh, you know, pure, purely surprising. Um, Roxon has it in him. Um, it. Uh, you know, I can see your point of like, well, it w- was it surprising that he beat Dungey? Uh, maybe not so much. Right. You know. Uh, you know, but I think that he served notice that that he's got uh, all of his ducks in a row, as mm-hmm. they say, and. And uh, he could be a force to be reckoned with uh, this summer. And uh, so now that Dungey's got the Supercross title out of the way, he's going to have to dig deep again and say, okay, this is a whole new championship. And, uh, you know, at Mm -hmm. that level, mental toughness is so important. And you're going to see these two guys once again Mm -hmm. separate themselves from the field. I mean, they were 30 seconds clear, or at least Roxon was, 30 some seconds clear of third place, both motos, that's an eternity. And uh, what's going to be tough is for Anderson and Kennard and Tomac and these guys, that's a big gap to make up. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, it ain't easy. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, we saw Tomac you know, obviously rip off five straight moto wins last year. He was great on the Honda. Uh, didn't ride as well at Hangtown, 4-4 for third overall. But he, he, he smoked him last year here at Glen Helen. How much – he smoked him at Hangtown, too, so I mean, maybe this question is kind of moot, but how much does knowing that you won at the track 
that you're coming up to help you out. Like you've been in that situation. Like Red Bud is one track that you loved, and Millville you loved, and and always put good results in. How much does that help, Tomac? I mean, I guess it kind of could have helped. Should have helped the Hangtown, and it didn't. But does it does it well, bring up? I mean, <laughs> I won a ton of races and. In the 96, 97, 98, and mm-hmm. 99, I couldn't hit mass with both hands. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, you want to try to pull that good, those good vibes and good memories and different parts of the track that are maybe the same and different lines and stuff. But it's a clean slate once again. And uh, with Tomac, you know, so many things are different than a year ago. Um you know, he's, he just has to keep uh, chipping away at it. You mm-hmm. know, and and his biggest problem, he just puts himself at such a deficit at the beginning of every race. Right. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't. I mean, ima- I mean, you know, in my era, imagine if Michael Rocco had started first or second every race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might we might not have beat him for the championship. Right. He was that good, but it was to our advantage that, like myself, I was really good off the start. So that was certainly my advantage. So we, you know, our strengths and weaknesses, the weakness of being inconsistent off of the start is such an important factor. Mm-hmm. It's it's so uber important when it comes to consistency, safety, uh, you know, keeping yourself out of first turn pileups, you know, b- belief that you can win each and every moto, I mean, you don't have to go out there and ride every moto where you're just getting roosted. You're going through 30 tear-offs, a pull roll a roll-off. You're muddy, you're dirty, your arms are sore, your chest is sore, it's all welted up. Mm-hmm. You know, your hands are sore from roost. You get out front, you get a pace, you manage the race, you manage your heart rate, you manage your breathing, and then you have a strategy to the race. When you're out front, you can control that. If I need to pick it up, I pick it up. If I need, can back it down and save a little energy because I don't know what I may need the second moto, mm-hmm. you can do that. When you start in the back of the pack, you're just you got the throttle pin. You're just getting hammered with roost. You know, you're you're around guys that are getting tired, making mistakes. It just puts you in all sorts of trouble. It, you know, you hear me talk about it all the time, but it's so important <laughs> right. to get off of the start good. It, well, it, yeah, Tomac's issue has been starts, and that's no secret. This week in the Glen Helen, no fro, it's a long start. It's wider. It's got a huge first turn, the Talladega first turn. If you do get a bad jump, uh, there's lots of room to move around at Glen Helen. You can make it up a little bit, huh? It's a little bit different of a uh, – it's the only one that is this unique. Yeah, that's a – it's a scary first turn. I mean, even <laughs> yeah. you – I mean, I'm an old guy. I'm 45. Like, I I look at it. You know, I've ridden, like, some Loretta's regionals and stuff there where I was racing against a bunch of vet guys, and I was scared going tapped out into that yeah. thing. But, I mean, it's uh, – you look at what the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship is now, and these tracks are – I mean, they're mega. These things are super speedways. The, the era of having – tight, small, little technical tracks like Troy, Ohio used to be or, you know, Unadilla back in its old uh, configuration um, are gone. I mean, these things are gnarly, and they are built for a 450. I mean, there there were some some jumps last week that the 250 couldn't make. I mean, the track builders and the promoters there, MX Sports, are, I mean, it is – 
these tracks are gnarly. And that first turn at Glen Helen certainly is, uh, you know, exemplifies all of that. Um, man, what's the word I'm looking for? Huevos, uh, huevos, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I know I would rather have the whole shot going into that mm-hmm. first turn than to be mid-pack because, you know, if you're mid-pack, you're literally fourth or fifth gear going into the first turn, and if some guy to the inside of you gets tipped up a little bit and mm-hmm. clips you, you know that there's still another 15 guys behind you, you know, if yeah. you go down. It's it's pretty normal. That's a man's track, no doubt about it. So, like you said, the mental game is so big with these guys, and it really is. We saw it with Barsha last year. I mean, he was doing so-so in the series until that mutter at Bud's Creek where he won a moto. Dungey goes down the first turn. And then after that, Barsha cannot be stopped. He beats Ryan straight up for moto wins, takes some overalls. You know, we saw it. Um, he was like a different guy. So if Dungey goes 1-1 this weekend and beats Kenny, Kenny goes 2-2 or whatever, how much of a of a swing mentally is that for these guys? Or do you think at this, at this level, and you've, you've done that with MC back in the day, 1-1, 2-2, you know, or whatever. You can't beat him. He can't beat you. Um, how much of a swing is that for these guys mentally? Like, do they, does the whole game quote unquote change each moto, each overall that, that you lose to your, to the guy or he beats you or whatever? I would say that it's really important for Dungy to get a moto win, uh, as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's a very smart rider. He certainly has shown a lot more mental toughness, uh, um, here in these last couple of years than what he did before, uh, you know, pretty much referring to his battles that he had with Ryan Villapoto, um, what certainly would give the the edge to Villapoto on mental toughness. Uh, Ryan really was as good as him, uh, you know, in every other category. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's that's the thing. Hold on, the wife's calling. Uh, th- uh, that's the that's the thing. I didn't tell her I was going to be on the phone either. So I'm going to. Oh no, she's going to be all worried. She, she, right. She's going to be like, "Why are you not picking up?" Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, so I. That's the thing. And Villapoto is not here, so now you've got Ken Roxon, who certainly, when he won this championship two years ago in that final race at Ironman in Indiana. He showed that he can be mentally tough, and that when it comes down to it, he can reach out and take it. Right. Right. Yep. So, um, Kenny being in a good place, Ken Roxon, that is. Uh, obviously, the bike looked great this weekend. RCH and the whole team have got that dialed in. He could be a real force to be uh, reckoned with. I think it's going to be um, a tennis match all summer long between these two riders, Denji and Roxon. You sound like you're a little bit, I don't want to say, down on Tomac or anything. Um, we saw him win last year. Do you think that Hangtown shows that he's he's going to be struggling to keep up with those two guys? Because I'm kind of of the mindset, Fro. I'm like, I'm still, I'm, I'm waiting for this overdrive to kick in for Eli. Are, are you thinking, no, you know, none of us know for sure, but are you thinking that this Hangtown was sort of indicative of what we're going to see? Yeah, because Tomac's usually a fast starter. He's typically really good at the beginning of championships. And so if if this is what he has, then, yeah, it's going to be a long summer. Yeah. 
yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see. It's going to be he's going to be collecting yeah. unless he can get it together. He's going to be collecting a lot of trophies that he's going to autograph to a fan because he's not going to want to keep it third place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. That, me. Right, right. You've been there, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Anderson, Kennard, Seely. Seely had a third until that until late in that first moto. That was pretty impressive. Anderson's charge in both motos was pretty pretty fast, and he you know got third in the uh, in the second moto. What'd you see from the rest of the guys outside the top three? Well, I mean, they're gonna they're they're battling for the positions off of the podium. And it's, uh, it becomes a long, hot (laughs) summer when you're working your butt off and you're going four, six or three, seven or something. Um, and unless they can taste victory in a moto, you know, get some podiums and run up front with, with Roxon and Dungey, they're going to get beat down really quick. And they're going to not – so much of this is about belief. Mm-hmm. And um, so you do all the training during the week to build your belief, to build your confidence and say, okay, this next week is my week. And then if you go to the race and you're like, wait, how far behind the leader was I? <laughs> and you're like, shit, I put in like a kick-ass right. ride, and I was 35 seconds behind Roxon. And then you watch it on Mav TV and NBC Sports Network the next week while you're eating your Chipotle dinner, you and you're going, wow, Kenny looked like he was riding around up front. Yeah. And then you go, shit, that's not what I want to see. Yeah. You know, because I felt like I was struggling and I got fit. You know, so it's so much of it has to do with the work and the belief and the confidence building. Um, but it, sometimes it can just take one good moto to, to really set things off. Um, you certainly think that uh, Anderson should be at the point of his career where uh, sometime this during this championship mm-hmm. he should be able to find a day where everything clicks and he and he can win a moto. Uh, third caller here on the on the Fly Race and Moto sixty show seven zero two five eight six seventy five seven wins the uh, Fly Racing uh, boot wash Dan. Let's give us a call and uh, see what happens. Uh, give 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 some boots away, get boot wash uh, away. That would be kind of cool. And uh, Fro, so uh, Josh Grant, local SoCal dude, saw him uh, win a moto at the USGP. He won a moto two years ago at this track. Can he get on the podium, or, or can he beat the other two guys? First off, we start <laughs> well, with that, but well, yeah. Well, I think that he can get on the podium for sure. I think that he has the speed to win a moto. Uh, what we saw at, uh, at the um, MXGP last year in August, no, September, yeah. um, was a kid that grew up in Riverside, California, that has written more laps at Glen Helen than anybody there. Uh, I'd venture to say he's probably written more laps at Glen Helen than anybody he'll line up with. Mm-hmm this Saturday, and he's got a really great feel for it. Uh, if I was him, I'd be taking the same spec that I used uh, last year uh, as far as, you know, suspension yep. into this year. I mean, I guess we got new Kawasaki. Yeah, it's a little but, bit new, but yeah, still, yeah. Yeah, but, but you know what I'm saying? So, for, for sure, the he's the type of rider that can ride off the emotion of it being uh, his hometown race. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he can ride as fast as anybody on any given session. Uh, So I would, uh, if you had somebody there you were betting with, I'd probably put some long shot money on Josh Grant to win the first moto. Really? 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We, we were uh, we were discussing that on one of on the NFAB Fantasy Show. We're like, can he actually beat Dungeon Roxon? And you know that would be pretty remarkable. He does haul. I think ass he could there. do it for a moto. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. For sure. You know. Yeah. And especially if he you know he gets that start. I mean, what he did at the GP, some of the speed that he showed in the qualifying race on Saturday, and then and then the uh, uh, the motos to come back and. And when that, I mean, it was it was really awesome. And he's he's been given a great opportunity here with uh, Monster Energy Kawasaki the last two years. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's taken advantage of it. I think that he's doing um, just what he's expected to do. And uh, I think that his position in his career, um, you know, the maturity that he's riding with, and and the type of speed that he can still show, I, I would definitely pencil him in for. Uh, you know, fast qualifier, yeah. Moto One win. Right, I think that would be uh, exceptional. We talked about uh, Barsha a little bit earlier with you. Um, what's going on with this guy? Like, I can't, I can't quite figure it out, Fro. Like, he he gets paid to win races. He makes a lot of money. Uh, injuries have sabotaged him a bit in Supercross. We talked about last year outdoors, turning it on. Um, Hangtown was so so like he went backwards in both motos, but still the finishes are what they are. Um, six, uh, what do you do? Hold on, six. Got it right in front of me here. I should know this. Uh, ten six. Sorry, ten six for Barsha at uh, at Hangtown. Like, what is this guy's deal? Can he get? Can he be a winner again? Can he? Can he flip a switch? You know what? What's going on with him? I don't know if it's going to be. As easy for him to flip a switch this year as it was last year. Mm-hmm. So when I watch him ride, it just seems to be the lack of confidence. So that's a that's a tough hole to dig yourself out of because that's what this whole thing is about: is belief and confidence. Mm-hmm. You do all of the hard work and training during the week and preparation uh, to build your confidence. So. Um, yeah, it's not going to get any easier as the years pass. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, how's everything going with the uh, ODI MA grip, uh, the clothing, the casual clothing you got going on? How's everything going on your end of things? You've got a besides being the voice of the color analyst for uh, Monster Energy Supercross, you have a whole other deal going on. How's it going? Well, I have all kinds of irons in the fire, I right? Know, right? Uh, yeah. Shift MX and Fox, and and uh, so lots of work going on there, and then. The projects that I do with ODI, the Emig V2 lock-on grip has been going great. We've got uh, we're increasing our worldwide distribution each and every month. It seems like um, all of our uh, uh, Western Power Sports uh, distributors and all the reps have been kicking ass. Our Parts Unlimited reps have been kicking ass with it. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our all of the top online dealers. Um, have nothing but great feedback. The, the V2 lock-on system from ODI is is really, you know, it's to me it's the best grip in the world. There's no glue, no wire, all that. So we do have uh, the second Emig grip is in the works right now. We've been uh, doing some testing with some riders and tossing around some ideas and uh, designs on what we're going to do. So unfortunately, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag here. Oh, uh, damn it. On, on the, on the, not on this week's show, <laughs> maybe later on in the summer. And so we're just, I'm just excited about that. We're going to do some new colors of the Emmy grip uh, later on this year. I know I said that last year and we ended up doing five uh, flow mm-hmm. colors, but we're going to, we're going to totally redo the colors uh, later on this year. But the, the fact that there's uh what is there? 13 different colorways. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
there's oh. plenty to choose from right now. Oh. So that, so that's the project with ODI. And then the Emig brand is uh, separate uh, that we do. And so we're uh, just finalizing new uh, tea and hat designs and trinkets and fun stuff that you can find on emig 47com 702-586-757. We're going to give away a set of uh, MA grips to uh, a caller. Uh, give us a call. We got Jeff Emig on the line for uh, not too much longer. Um, hey, you're going to the you're going to the MXGP. I heard you, we talked a little bit. You're going to the uh, Matterly Basin GP. Yeah, I've actually got um, uh, quite a bit going. I on June 6th, I take off for Europe, and the first weekend that I'm in Europe, I'll be at uh, Majora Park in Italy, the site of the. 2016 motocross of nations yeah uh which will be the 30th anniversary from the 1986 uh team usa walloping uh that went down mm-hmm. there with uh that yeah. was omara bailey johnson right uh at the exact same track so we're hoping for another team usa victory like that again would be would be awesome uh so i go there for what we're doing this uh four-day weekend at majora park and that'll be the so the second weekend in June, what's mm-hmm. that, the 10th, 11th-ish, yeah. something like that? Yep, yep. We're doing what's called the Weekend of Champions. And so we're going to do a couple days of riding school and uh, technique training and all that. Um, and then the track will be open, and there's going to be tons of legendary champions and racers and everybody around the whole weekend at uh, Majora Park. So if you're listening in from Italy or Europe, you want to get down there for that, check uh, the information's on the website for their yeah. Uh, on the uh, Majora Park MX site. And uh, you'll be do- helping Malin in the booth at uh, Matterly? So that's awesome. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, yeah. well, and th- so then the next week I go, uh, I'll, I'll be with uh, Jamie Dobb that weekend in Italy. The next week we're going to do a two-day uh, riding school, riding clinic at Fat Cat Moto Park in England during the week. And then and we're going to have um, uh, Tommy Searle will join us for one day of that. And then the next weekend is the British GP. And so for the first time ever, I'll join Paul Mayland um, and Lisa Leyland and them for the uh, uh, MXGP uh, broadcast. Awesome. So I've done Motocross of Nations broadcast before, mm-hmm. but I've never done a regular season event. Yeah. So. All right. Let's take a last question for – first and last question for you, Fro. Derek, welcome to the Fly Race and Moto 60 show. What's your question for Jeff Emig? Hey, uh, Steve, how's it going? Good. Thanks for all the content uh, you produce. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, thanks for everything you do in the in the booth. Uh, you're awesome with Ralph. You guys are perfect uh, commentary team. Um, Thank you. My question for you, uh, I just was asking, in 97, uh, what was your, outside of winning the Supercross title, what was your favorite, like, fun moment you had with, with someone or, or kind of just some memories you like to share or anything like that? Oh, in 97. Wow. Oof. Boy. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, you know, Obviously. when you're, when you're, it's a great question. Thank you, Derek. I mean, when you're experiencing success, you know, it's just like everything you do is, it, it seems to go right, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, for me, one of the, probably the, the, the most satisfying moments of my career above and beyond any single championship was in, in 97 at the second to last round of the motocross championship, or as Ralph likes to call it, the penultimate round. <laughs> um, I won the, uh, I won the 250 motocross title for the second year yeah. in a row. Yeah. And I won, so I won supercross and motocross 
in the same year. And when I achieved that, I was the seventh rider in history to do that. Mm-hmm. To me, that was that was my goal in my mind, like that was the pinnacle of what I could do was to win supercross and motocross in the same year. Um, and so that there's, uh, there were some shots on, uh, what were we probably on ESPN back then where I gave my post-race interview and I'm riding off and I'm like high five in the stands as I'm riding by. And when I see that, that video, those images, really takes me back to how I felt at that point because I really, in my mind, I, I had achieved my own personal goal. And so yeah. that was, uh, I was very, very content after that race. Yeah, well, it just kind of shows the kind of mark that you left to on the sport, right? And even so I left some marks, you I'm had... not sure they were all good. Sorry? <laughs> I left some marks. I'm not sure they were all good. Yeah, but, well, uh, well, at least that. Well, whatever you did, whatever you're doing right now is 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 tr- tremendous for the sport, and you're providing people with a lot of insight on the broadcast and and showing them the ways that maybe they wouldn't know if they were new. So you you do a tremendous job. Thank you, I appreciate that, Derek. Well, you know what? We've got a free set of uh, MIG lock-on grips for you if you're interested. Oh heck yeah, I would love that. All right, cool, Derek. All stay, right. stay on hold. Thank you for the call, man. Thanks, Derek. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. All right. You got time for one more question, Fro? I'm sorry? You got time for one more question? You got to go. Of course. Okay. All right. Of course. Yeah. Noah, welcome to the uh, Fly Race and Moto 60 show uh, presented by Infab. What's your question for the great Jeff Emig? Hey, Jeff. Um, I know you're affiliated with Kawasaki quite a bit, um, and I'm looking to get a new one. And I, I remember in 2012, the Cowies were really good. Um, I was wondering between 2012 and uh, 2015, 2016, what your favorite bike was. Um, you know, it's interesting because the bikes have uh, evolved, and the, and the real challenge lately with all of the manufacturers has been this has been this air fork. Right, and to get the mm-hmm. the feel of the bike right with the air forks and Kawasaki's had they had uh, Kayabas in the early days where there was a Kayaba spring fork. Then the first year bike that had the uh, um, they weren't separate function like the like the Showa is where the compressions in one side or the springs in one side, the dampening's in the other. Um, yeah. Each fork each fork was a complete fork, and. I, I really liked that fork that we had around 13 and 14. Um, and and so, so I really felt that that bike, the power band, uh, how the front end was, was just exceptional. Um, uh, and so those were probably my favorite bikes of, the, of, that, of that time period. Okay, great. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, it's, hey, bet, uh, Noah. it's uh, interesting what they've done over the years, the – uh, redesigned in 12, I think, and then now to redesign in 16, Cowie has done um, all concentrating on lighter, skinnier, you know, more, I think, more better CG uh, for, for most of the production bikes. Um, for our last question for you, James Stewart calls you, okay? When, another guy that went multi-time wow. champion for Kawasaki. Stu calls you. First off, if, if it came up on my on my voicemail, I'd, I'd think that he... <laughs> That he did it uh, accidentally. I know. But. I would too. So let's just, just let's roll with it. Stu calls you and says, "Fro, what do I do? What is my next step? What do you tell him? Mm. This is bizarre. It is bizarre. 
Uh, it all starts with not being ready, and it compounds from there. But this is uh, – I'm starting to feel sorry for James, for reals, like, like a uh, – like you know, like a, like a burn victim or something. This is just punishment after punishment. Uh, what what's what do you tell them? Well, man, that's an interesting uh, interesting conversation, interesting question there. Um, I'm I'm not uh, just so all the all of the listeners know. I'm not close with James to where that I know what his personal life or, mm-hmm. or any of that. I won't begin to speculate or or anything on that, um, and so. Any of my comments here are strictly from the outside looking in. Um, one thing that that Carmichael, Rick Carmichael, and I noticed, and we talked about quite a bit during the motocross championship this year, um, is and Ricky actually brought this point up, um, is that it, it was interesting how his whole career he was always great at anticipating what was going to happen with the bike, anticipating what was going to happen with the riders around him. Um, and that was one of his strengths. And maybe how he visual, how he was able to, to see the track and see the conditions and, and have your mind process that quickly. You cannot ride at the pace that he has over his career without your processor, your mind, mm-hmm. working lightning fast, right? Imagine a computer. You use yeah. a computer that's 10 years old versus a brand-new computer. It's not even the same. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like that he anticipates things that the bike's going to do as quickly and as as um, – he doesn't, and he's not in front of it mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. he was. I got, I got you. He, right. he, he was very proactive, and he would save the bike. You know, the pace that he rode, things that he did on the bike absolutely blew your mind. Blew your mind. And he would get out of shape, and he'd save it, and he'd be like, how the hell did he do that? That was awesome. That was the, <laughs> right. that was the most athletic thing yep. that I've ever seen on a motocross bike. I don't think that we see that anymore. And so has this processor slowed down in ways, right? It, it, yep. You know, now these, yep. I mean, what, he finished four laps again this week. I mean, he's crashing every time he gets on the bike. It, my, you know, from the outside looking in, there's, I know nothing on the inside of his racing program or his life or anything. From the outside looking in, it just doesn't seem like that he's able to process those things and anticipate things that are going to happen on the track like he did. So now he's used to being proactive. Now he's reactive, and he's riding in a way that he just never has in his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why that? What you know? That's yeah. my opinion. Why that's? Why that is? I don't know. Um, but that's kind of. But that's my analysis from the outside looking in. Yeah, I'm not sure any of us really know inside what goes on with James and his camp. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. All of us are just looking in from the outside. None of us can get into. Yep. Uh, yep. Into inside of that, you know, he's he doesn't let a lot of yeah. people in, and and that yeah, it's uh. Yeah. So. So yeah. You know, it's it, 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 it's amazing that, that he can still turn a lap here and there, uh, um, like he did even with this. You know, with this sort of concept that I'm trying to to give you some analysis on, um, but it's a bad place to be to be reactive. You know, it's not uh, you want to anticipate things that are going to happen, and especially when you're riding a motorcycle 
at the pace that the 450 riders do, mm-hmm. the type of uh, um, horsepower and torque and inertia and, and weight and everything that the 450s have. I mean, especially like we talked about at the beginning of, the, of my call, is these tracks are super gnarly. It's a very high speed. It's, you know, it's the toughest motocross in the world. And so, um, you know, if you're not processing the track as quickly as you need to, that can be a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. Well, good stuff, Fro. Uh, we've signed you to an exclusive Fly Race and Moto 60 deal uh, for most of this summer on Thursdays. We'll hear your insight um, for a little 20, That's 30 right. minutes each, each Thursday, unless, unless you're in Europe doing something. So thank you for uh, yeah, Well, hey, if, the you time. Say, if you call me while I'm in Europe, we can still do the call. But if you expect me to pay long-distance charges, <laughs> well, you're, we'll, yeah, actually, you're we'll actually try to work it out. Let's maybe try to do that. That's I think right. we can call. It's actually not that expensive. I've done it a ton. Uh, thanks, Fro. Appreciate it. Have a good day, bud. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, good luck with those grips there, Derek. All right. Thanks, man. See you, guys. All right. The great Jeff Emig from one champion to another. Jason Wygant, welcome to the show. Oh, yes. Many titles. Many titles. (laughs) Well, you know, Fro's got four or six, I think, big-time titles. I have four Manitoba titles. What do you got? Lifetime Achievement Award in acting at my high school. Oh, that's pretty good. Lifetime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Despian of the Year, 1995, 1996. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yep. And, and uh, first place, extemporaneous speaking and improvisational pairs, 1995, 96. I got some trophies, bro. <laughs> I have no idea. This is amazing. I yeah. thought I thought uh-huh. I knew you. Um, the the winner of the Fly Racing uh, boot wash stand, his name was Steve. He needs to call back in or email using the contact form on Pulp MX because uh, your email didn't work. Tits wrote it down wrong, oh. probably. Tits is rattled from Dungy's 2-2. Uh, uh, at Hangtown, we he put his. <laughs> what about what about raining yellow? It's the first time I've ever not followed him on the show, and I oh, think he I think we know why. He called in Monday. It's not good. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's not good right now with him and everything. I said, "What would you say to James if he was right in front of you, raining yellow?" And he proceeded to get into this real sad story about how James needs to determine what he wants to do with his life, and and raining yellow is there for him if he needs any help. That's good to know. Right. Good to know he's there for yeah. I'm sure James is going to give him a call right <laughs> look him up. Uh, well, hey, we, we covered mostly 450s with Fro, uh, so let's switch to 250 class with you. Jason Wygant from RacerX Online on the Fly Race and Moto 60 show presented by NFAB. He actually has NFAB steps on his Jeep, so he's an NFAB customer. And um, Oh, wait, no, you didn't get them on, or did you get them on? What happened with that? Yeah, it was, a, it was a big old mess. I don't have them, but I will say I do have a fly racing uh, Strider bike that I got. Oh, fantastic! Uh, through this show, so if you're Steve with the boot stand, you better call back. Because <laughs> we're going to give the claiming. we're going to give the boot stand to each too. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, so first up, uh, we talk, Savachi won one one. We know that. Um, Alex Martin's second moto was uh, terrific, uh, second place, and we thought he was going to win at times. If you go to Glen Helen last year, Amart last year goes 11-2 at Glen Helen. So similar, one okay moto and then one uh, really good moto. The question I have, and we saw him win Bud's Creek last year, is he for real? Like, do you think we are now, if we're putting fantasy picks in, do we start marking Amart in for top five or better? Like, is this for real? Yeah, I think top five is uh, is realistic. It's as realistic for him as it is for everybody else. You know, there's a giant group of uh, guys in this class that can do well on any given weekend. You know, I think you'd put uh, Jeremy Martin ahead of that, and if he were 100% healthy, you'd put Cooper Webb ahead of that. But I'd say the entire pack of everyone else, uh, I'd put him in there. I felt he was in there last year. Um, I think that 
the inconsistency of the moto scores and whatnot, that's just something that a lot of the riders in this class have. Um, it's just so much closer uh, overall on speed, or is it because, you know, the bikes have less power and they're just all wide open everywhere, so it ends up being closer. You know, your start and one mistake dictates the moto, I think, a lot more in the 450s. So that's why you get 8.2s and 11.2s for your moto In 250s, but, uh, you mean. You said yeah. 450s. In 250s, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, compared to 450s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where uh, in 450s, you had the old David Villeman theory, like, well, I get the whole shot. I'm just going to finish fifth no matter what happens anyway. Right. Um, the 250s are the exact opposite. So I feel like he's in the same mix with, I, I, I would thought Savaji. Maybe Savaji's gone ahead, but <clears throat> the same mix as uh, Osborne and Plessinger and pretty much everybody yeah, so on the he, Geico Honda team and uh, just a ton of dudes that can finish anywhere from 10th to 2nd in any moto. Yeah, so you're, you're, yeah, you're saying this is, this is, yeah, this is the real Alex totally. Martin. Yeah. Um, yes. is, is, despite Jeremy Martin's 3-9 ride crash in the 2nd moto, we're still on that Jeremy Martin is the guy in this class until, until proven otherwise? Dude, it would be insane to take two championships and throw that theory away just because of one weekend. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's actually like disrespectful to him to say one weekend we're going to change our mind. So, right. yeah, i got to put him at the head of the field uh, anyway. Although, honestly, that has to be the worst nationals he's had in two years. I mean, he's had worse finishes, but that was, you know, last year he had a worse finish when his bike didn't start yeah, at yeah. Glen Helen. Right. But as far as pure just riding, uh, that was – not what I expected, but uh, I can't imagine with him that it's – I don't think he's out there, um, you know, with hookers and uh, partying every weekend. I'm sure he's going to figure it out. The first thing that we should have worried about maybe was the fact he needed like 25 minutes to get by Cooper Webb in the first moto. Uh, Webb had not been riding, has not been riding much. He's got a bad wrist. And Jer, who's – you know, I mean, his speed is awesome, of course, but he really works these guys in uh, fitness as well late in the moto. It took him a long time, a lot longer than I would have thought, to get into third. Yeah, I think there's three things all working against him there. Uh, it sounded like, you know, everybody's somewhat guessing on their bike setup, but I know you reported that that team is even split down the middle of what forks they're using. Uh, so I think there's a lot of guessing as far as bike setup, and he was off. A, sorry, I know you don't want to hear that. B, I guess he was a little bit sick. But I think the real thing was uh, that track was so not rough like it normally is. I think that hurts him, and it also leads to more – uh, incorrect guesses as far as what to expect as far as the bike setup. I mean, whatever everyone thought Hankton was going to be, you know, based on the last seven years or so, it wasn't even close. So I think some guys happen to be okay with that, and some guys it really messed them up. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's uh, it's dangerous to make uh, uh, judgments from the first round. I mean, it's great for Savachi and all that, but um, it was so so different and so weird. Um, yeah, Adam Cincerillo, where are we at on him? Where do you think? Like, okay, he went off the track. I think he fell in the first moto or second moto. Uh, he didn't. He looked okay fitness wise. He didn't look tremendous fitness wise. He wasn't picking off a ton of dudes. Are we again dangerous to make assumptions from one moto? But where are we at? Yeah, it is dangerous just to base it on that. But all along, I've been a little worried. I know you have. You've been more more down on him than me. Down being relative term, of course. Well, yeah, well, here's, here's my point. Um, I, I, Gene Stewart's situation is absolutely atrocious at this point, you know, with the amount of injuries and bumps and knocks that he's gone through in the last, say, five years. But if you go even before that, um, 
you know, say 2008, 2009, and he missed a season because of a knee injury, or he skipped outdoors because of the Supercross-only deal. I think at that point we were like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's James Stewart. Whenever he shows up, he's still going to be the fastest dude. It doesn't matter. These guys can do anything they want. Mm-hmm. They cannot beat him. And I think we saw with James enough injuries, enough time off, even he could not just not race over and over and over while these other dudes are hammering down every week and just go on autopilot and just still be better than everybody every time. And that taught me a real lesson. I'm like, dude, if two or three years of barely racing even catches up to James Stewart, no one is safe. So that's why I'm a little worried. I'm not saying that that means that he can't make it happen. But at this point, I'm at the, I have to see that it's going to happen before I'm assured that it is. I mean, he's raced what? seven times in three years or something. That's, yeah. That's not good. Um, so I sure hope so. And I really wanted Hangtown to be like, okay, he's good. He's got it. He was on the podium or something. But unfortunately, so far, still no evidence that he's just right back where he should be. Yeah, if he'd come away with a top five or six, we'd be like, okay, all right, we're good. You know, uh, no need to yeah, worry. Yeah, like about, last year. Yeah, that's what yeah. he did last year. He led a few laps. I'm like, this is, you can work with that. But, um, again, I don't want to draw too many conclusions of the opener, but I just want to see something. And we didn't see anything yet. I, I know he was second fastest in practice, but that his practice times were, I mean, that was a freeway. It's really hard to, I don't know how you could really extrapolate that out to anything. So I hope it's going to be okay, but i got to see something that tells me it is. There's no doubt this weekend, Glenn Helen, round two of the Lucas Oil MA Pro Motocross Championships. Glenn Helen is its own unique beast, isn't it? Like, it's, it's you know, it's a California track, so it's also a little different. It's like a Hangtown or a Washougal. It's the West Coast track that is different from the rest of the series. But on top of being a West Coast track and being different, Glenn Helen is still so unique, such a different animal. You're actually making me think of a question. I think I'm going to ask some riders this weekend. Uh, we have uh, the Lit Pro folks helping us out now, and you probably saw a little bit of that on the TV show where we're actually getting real data like miles per hour. Dude, I was shocked to get over that fly 150 jump at Hangtown. Mm-hmm. I think they said you had to hit it, I think, 49 miles an hour. I think you had to be. And to really clear it, you had to be about 54 miles an hour. And I'm like, wow, that's how fast these guys are really going. Uh, at times. So Glen Helen, which maybe is the knowledge of all as far as the massiveness of the jumps, the Talladega, the first turn, the hills. I'm going to ask some dudes this weekend, is this the one track where there might be some guys that literally are like, Ugh, I'm a little scared. I mean, do you think that happens? The jumps are uh, huge. The yeah. track is ridiculous. Yeah, the one big uphill triple is big. There's no doubt about it. And you know, I mean, there's got to be spots where they're going 60-some and having to jump something massive with ruts and everything. I wonder if there's some guys that are like, I'm going to roll it off 1% here. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see the Lit Pro, um, the Lit Pro um, yeah. data from these guys and even going up the hills and down Talladega, down the first turn, coming in on there, man. Yeah. They are pinned. Uh, I know even from riding the track – you know, and I don't go this fast as these guys. Your stomach, like the, your stomach, goes goes backwards, uh, goes down into you around Talladega. Like you are, G forces are going. There, you're some legit G forces on my speed. Wow. Never mind these dudes. You yeah. know, so. Oh, so yeah, that's that's exactly what you're saying. It's totally unique, and I I think. Just like Hangtown, I think Hangtown's a fairly good representative most years, but this year was too smooth. I think this one too is a little hard to uh, get too much of a read on. I mean, it's. 
it's certainly rough, but it's just so yeah. different and so much gnarlier. Uh, the only constant was that, you know, we all know how much Tomac dominated Hangtown last year and that he was gone in Colorado and he got hurt. But he did the exact same thing in Glen Helen also. <laughs> yeah. Forgotten of those three races. It didn't matter. So I guess when you're hot, maybe none of this stuff really matters. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, right? Let's get to the phones here for Jason Wygant. Uh, Michael, what's going on? Welcome to the Fly Race and Moto 60 show. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, what's happening? Hey, pretty knowledge, you know, just enjoying a sunny Thursday here in Sacramento. Uh, a lot different than it was last week at this time. It's about 85 degrees. Oh, nice. Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a question for you guys. It seems like, I mean, I don't want to go down to the fourth show talk, but it seems like the 250 class year after year is always more competitive and just closer than the 450 class. Mm-hmm. Do you think that has to do with the bikes? The, the talent level takes less to ride the bike to their optimum performance. Um yeah, why is yeah, the two fifty class is more competitive, you're right. Um I think it's a lot to do with the bikes, Michael. They, these guys are pinned. They want more power. They want as much power as you can get. Uh, they ride these things on the rev limiter a lot, and so therefore everybody's closer in speed. And one mistake, one bad line, one case, one swap uh, takes you, you know, half a lap to make that up because you're so pinned. So it is more competitive that yeah. way. And I think it's motor. It's motor and bike related. Do you think that, you know, the 450, especially in the past years, being a four-stroke, being so powerful, with the only few really top elite riders able to push it to the the very end of the limit, has kind of made the racing a little less exciting in the 450 uh, class? I don't know. What do you think, Weege? I think in general, as soon as you get something that takes even more skill, it just further separates things. It's the same reason, like, in mud races where you get more lappers in a mud race. You know, it just all of a sudden it just starts separating. So I think a 450 is kind of the same way. Like, it's easier for more guys to pin in on a 250, I think, than it is for everyone to do it on a 450. So it just further separates uh, who can do it and who can not, like haves and the have-nots or whatnot of, of being that gnarly. So, yeah, I think it does have an impact on the, uh, on the competition. There you go. Thanks, yeah. thanks, Michael. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I also think too, and this isn't—I um, don't know how to say this correctly without you know getting people mad. I think the the 450 class, there's a little more established riders in there, and they're making pretty good money. A lot of them are making more and more money, and I think some of them settle. Do you know what I mean? Some of them settle. Some of them are just like, I'm not going to beat Dungey and, Rock- Dungey and Roxon, and I don't even want to get to be that gnarly to try. So I'm going to – I think my fourth and fifth and sixth is good, you know? Well, it's twofold. Uh, not only maybe they settle, but the one thing the 250 class will always has going for it is if you get really good, you eventually have to leave, or you don't <laughs> in the other class. So guess what? You never have to race the equivalent of Dungey, Dungey or Roxanne or Villapoto or Stewart or Reed in the 250s because those guys move up. And, you know, no offense to, say, Jeremy Martin, who's the champ right now, but I don't think anyone's claiming he's better than Ken Roxanne or Ryan Dungey. So it's just when you go to that class, now you have to be the best guy in the world, not, I don't know, the eighth best guy in the world. Right. Right? So you just your, your odds of, of everyone being able to win every once in a while, I guess, go up. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Exactly. This yeah. is the elite of the yep. elite, you know, and plus, like you said, the bikes, too. I think it takes a lot of skill yeah. to ride these 450s to the limit, and not many guys yeah, can. No, like, Dungey will never graduate. Like, he's just there. Like, he'll just be in the 450 class for 10 years. You'll never get around him. Right. It's not like in the 250s where he even just leaves eventually. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you this. We talked about this on the NFAB Fantasy Moto podcast uh, a little bit. Can Josh Grant either A, beat Roxon or Dungey this weekend, or B, beat Tomac and everybody else and get a third? Is he that? What is he capable of? Both? Just B? I, don't th- I, think, I think B. I don't think he can win uh, a moto. I, I, I mean... All circumstances go right. Let's say he gets a whole shot and those two get that starts or a crash or something like that. Um, he did win the one, I know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that those guys are better than they were two years ago, and he's just two years older. I think it just comes down to, you know, the last 10 or 15 minutes of the moto. I would think they would be able to eat him up. And let's just be honest, those two are gnarly as far as the, fit, the fitness and the training mm-hmm. goes. I'm sure Josh has been putting in some work since returning to racing, but I just can't see him holding him for 35 minutes. But, uh Beyond that, if he gets to start, I think anything else is realistic. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually impressed with Grant's fitness this weekend. I was looking for him to drop back a little bit late later, and he really didn't. Yeah. He held it pretty strong. So, so you think he can get third though? He can beat Eli Tomac. Yeah, I think he could. If, yep. You know, again, the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, but yeah. Guys. But uh, yeah, I would not. My wig would not be blown back. If he got third, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that happening. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, is there, are there any yeah. panic buttons needed to be sounding at all in the 450 class after week one? I think the only one that would really be worried right now is actually, oddly, is uh, is Tomac. And I know he got third, but I know that's just not where he where he wants to be. Yeah. Like, it's, it's almost amazing that we already just said two minutes ago, is he Dungy Roxon level or is he beating Tomac level? Like, yeah. that's not Tomac's goal in life. Yeah. His goal yeah. is not to be a separate B group yep. to Roxon and Dungy. He thinks he can beat those guys, and he has beaten those guys. Um, it wouldn't be a big deal if Supercross didn't look eerily the same, right? Right. Like, yep. he gets 4-4. It was okay, but it was like, I don't know what – I don't know what I got to do. Those guys yeah. are way ahead of me. I got to figure something out. And it was just that again, which is just scary because we've already seen it for five months. Fro uh, Fro was saying that uh, he thinks Tomac. He thinks those two guys are going to take away. Uh, those Fro, Fro thinks Roxon and Dungey are going to break away from Tomac again this weekend. So, yeah, maybe. I, I, like I said, it's just there's just so much evidence right now. I mean, that's that's what happened for five months. Um, I mean, again, outside of Daytona, I know that was more outdoors. Like, the one caveat I'm going to give, I won't go that far yet, only because just that track being as smooth as it was, I don't think that plays to Tomac's strength. So, uh-huh. if they do it again, then I think it's true panic button. As much of a panic button as you can press being third. <laughs> someone someone said, hey, is, is Purcell the panic button? And I'm like, I didn't answer, but I'm like, no, because, A, he still heard from Supercross, and Purcell has no desire to challenge for this title or be in the mix no. or anything, anything else. Like, like he could very well this weekend go five six or, or you know or whatever, turn it around, and then the next weekend nothing will go his way and he'll fit, he'll ride around. Uh, there's no panic button for Purcell in his mind. There's no panic from Purcell, so there's no panic for me. No, he doesn't know the term panic. Uh, all he ever does is throw out top five. That's all I've ever heard him throw out as his goal, which is bizarre to me. I'm like. You used to race these guys. You used to race Dungey. You battled Dungey toe-to-toe for the 250 title. You were arguably better. So why is you're just getting paid and you're <laughs> cool with top five? Yeah. No, no. Win? Yeah. yeah. 
he ain't yep. gonna he ain't gonna panic, so we'll we'll not panic uh, about that. Yeah. Do you think Baggett coming back at Glenn at um, I think he's out for the weekend, right? I know the Baggett camp was hoping to be racing, but he's got to be out. Uh, they, they sent me photos last night of these stitches. <laughs> His surgery's done. Oh, Whatever that means, I don't know. I would think he'd be back after at High Point after the week off. I can't see him even for round three. But what do you think? Well, Mike Webb said there's no way we're letting him race Glen Helen, maybe Thunder Valley, so uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah. It's a real loss for him because, obviously, that first moto was great, Yep. and uh, Glen Helen's a great track for him. So we're, as long as – it doesn't even matter. Even if he comes back this weekend, miraculously, he's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he missed a real opportunity to really get something rolling. If he had been hot at the first two races – that could have really been something, but unfortunately, that's kind of been squashed now. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Weege, the voice of American Motocross. I guess you and I are our workmates this weekend because I am also yeah. the pre-show. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. Voice. You're ready for prime time. Wow. I'll tell you what, if these guys have given me any more meetings and, and emails and memos, I may just bail. I just, you can't be caged. <laughs> I'm, but, uh, I'm an eagle, bro. I'm an eagle. <laughs> we we were talking about it all week. I mean, we're kind of in the uh, Saturday Night Live, Lauren Michaels, uh, Al Michaels, uh, the NBC family now. Yeah, Costas, yep. Wygant, Mathis. Costas. Yep. Abso- yep. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Tits is laughing. Yep. Tits has really got a good good laugh out of that one. Costas, Mathis, Wygant. Um, I cannot believe this, that you and JT, honestly, it's the podcast show practically has come to life. Well, it doesn't help that the two guys that are kind of producing this are Canadians, and they they like pulp. That's really what happened here. <laughs> that might be the strangest part of all. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so I'm doing like a two-hour pre-show on the internet, NBC Sports, with uh, uh, I forget her name, but Jenna. Uh, she seems really cool. Uh, okay, all these meetings they had, apparently they weren't enough. <laughs> you don't even know her name. Don't worry, bro. I'm good. Tell me when to show on. Tell me when the light comes on, and I will dance. This this monkey will dance. Um, money makes the monkey dance, as the great Rob Bidas once said. That's right. So, uh, promotocross.com, yes. And uh, we will be throwing to uh, G- the GLs and me during uh, practice. We'll go back and forth. I don't think I'll actually see you, but yeah. we'll, we'll do what we can will, to make it. Will you, will, you, will you have to say, like, and Steve Mathis, will you say my name? to Like, you're throwing it to me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Last oh. week they even said throw it to JT and make fun of the gloves. They actually told me that. Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. I, I feel like this is just one step. Like, Michael Prince's phone call should be coming in any second. Oh, Feld, Feld, yes. Yeah. Okay. Just take the cargo. Just change out of the cargo shorts. It's all holding you back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. See you. See you. Fly Racing Moto 60 Show, everybody. Another exciting edition. Fro's going to join us quite a bit. You excited about that, Fitz? Yeah. Not much gets you going, I know. So. Yeah. Uh, Jason Wagant, Jeff Emig, I'm Steve Mathis, Fly Racing, NFAB. Thank you, everybody, for listening. See you next Thursday.